0: Well, good morning, Todd. Good morning to you. How are you today? Well, I'm doing just fine. Well, you know, today uh, we got an interesting uh, airplane incident to talk about. You know, I I think I said it on a previous show that uh, how much work has to go into finding accidents to make these shows meaningful. And sometimes you come across some really interesting ones, and sometimes you come across things that you think are one-ofs. And uh, in looking through this one, I thought it was a one-of because it involves a suicide, uh, not of the pilot, but of a passenger on the airplane. And, uh, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But it's, it's a little different than what we normally talk about. And I thought that uh, we'd give some thought to some people uh, about what they do in the normal course of their, their uh, operations. And it, it covers both 91 and 135. It's not likely it'll cover a 121, because uh, it has to be an unpressurized airplane. But we'll talk about that. And uh, so we have an accident from 2000. So pre-911, keep that in mind, because that might be important. Uh, and that's happened in California, so Pacific time, 520 Pacific time, we have a de Havilland DHC-6 operated by a corporation in California. And it was being run. It's one of many airplanes. I actually know this operation. But it's actually one of several airplanes that they own. And they run a regular scheduled service flying their employees around not only to California and up uh, to Washington State. I believe, but I know they go to Denver. I think Houston, someplace in Texas, anyway. And they run them all day long, just like a schedule, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, uh, to San Jose. So on this particular day, this airplane uh, uh, was on its way back to San Jose when it experienced a, a warning light in flight, and they landed. An on landing, they landed to check out the doors. And they, uh, they uh, did check the doors, opened and closed them all, and uh, the light did go out. So the crew got back on the airplane and took off. And shortly after takeoff, the light came back on. But this time the light came back on because the door was open for real. And what we now know uh, happened was a, one of the passengers, happened to be a female, uh, got up shortly after takeoff and opened the door and either fell out because the door opened or jumped or are not clear what her intentions were, but in any event, uh, out the door she went to her death. And uh, it, in the course of doing that, Two passengers, uh, saw her one tried to, to catch her and caught her sleeve and wasn't enough to hold on to. So she went out of the airplane and a couple of things happened at this point that, that are a little unnerving. And, uh, we, uh, The first officer came back because the door light came on again. Came back and closed the door. Passengers said that they tried to tell him that somebody went out. He didn't notice that there was somebody missing. They went ahead and landed in San Jose, exited the airplane. And when they came back out to the airplane, two passengers were still on board. Those were the two that were traumatized. So a very interesting piece. So with those basic facts, let's, t- let's go backwards now to the beginning and let's dissect this.
2: Well, And for those who are watching the uh, video version of this podcast, I'm putting up on the screen the layout of the seats in the aircraft. This was from the public docket. It was a hand-drawn layout of the 15 seats in this aircraft. There were three across, excuse me, on the right side, there were five rows of two seats. And then the last row was a single seat. Now, between the last row on the right side and that single seat was the emergency exit door on the right. The person who jumped out of the airplane was originally seated in this very last seat on the right side of the aircraft. There were four other passengers in the uh, aircraft, one on each of the four rows in front of this person. And as John just mentioned, uh, one person in the back row of two tried to grab the person's arm, pull her back in. He was unsuccessful. And what was not really clear, reading the narrative and reading the entire um, public docket, which was exactly one uh, document, and if you go to the show's website, we'll have that available. They didn't specify whether or not the passenger who did jump was seated in that last seat when the first officer went back. Because if the person were sitting in that seat and the first officer had checked that emergency exit door, he would have had to see this person. Now, after they took off the second time, when the light came on again and the person did leave the aircraft, the first officer came back again. By this time, the person had left the aircraft. A couple of the passengers were trying to get the first officer's attention to tell him that someone had jumped out of the aircraft. The first officer had no recollection of hearing this. So it begged the question, how could you miss somebody not being in the seat where they were there 15, 20 minutes before? Because remember, there was a first flight, a warning light. They diverted, checked the airplane, made sure all the doors, including the baggage doors, were locked, got back in the airplane, took off again, and less than five minutes after takeoff, when the airplane was passing through 2,000 feet, they got another warning. So between the first and the second time, A passenger was missing. Somehow or another, it escaped the attention of the first officer. It was not adequately explained in any of the documentation why that was so.
0: Yeah, I I can sort of understand how we would miss it, but it it does—it does—it's bothersome in some at a certain level that you don't know who's on your airplane. Now, this was two thousand. Pre 9-11, and I actually have some experience prior to 2000 out there watching this operation, this particular operation. I was out there with this company for uh, human factors issues, and I just uh, was out on the flight line and watched this, this operation. It's quite an operation with multiple airplanes, like I said earlier, multiple destinations, and it runs all day long. And this was the third of four scheduled round trips that this crew was making to the, to, between these two city piers.
2: And keep in mind that this was actually operating under part 91, although it was operating under part 91, they were acting more like a part 135 operation. They had two pilots. They were running on a schedule. They had a small fleet of aircraft. This was something that was done on a regular basis. And there was nothing in their record that indicated that they were in any way, uh, a slipshot operation, and it's just uh, somewhat baffling in this particular incident why um, these things weren't noticed. And, and I mentioned earlier that there was a public docket with one document in it. That one document had a written statement from the captain. There was no written statement or any statement or any sort of uh, transcript of things that were said by the first officer about that event. And the captain never left the cockpit during this entire sequence of events, so it'll be interesting to me if the first officer had some sort of narrative discussing what happened, what was or was not seen, and his thoughts on the matter. But we don't have that in this in this report. And, and since it was prior to nine eleven,
0: uh, the crew may or may not have get, even had a uh, manifest with the passengers on board. What I remember of my visit to this facility was that there was a holding area, almost like a a mini terminal, a mini gate, uh, where people would come in, company employees would come in, check in. I believe they signed in on a list and then they would queue up for the airplane. And it was pretty loose. Uh, who got on. I think the screening was done by those ground personnel. The room was pretty well controlled. It wasn't wide open to everybody. If you got into the room, you could get on any one of the flights. And I, I don't think the crew uh, had any idea how many people they had, had on board, unless they noticed it themselves. I don't think there was anything given to them as such. Uh they probably didn't even do the weight and balance. It was probably done by somebody else. and it was since there was only five people on the airplane that wasn't going to be an issue. And-,
2: and one question that might be that was in my mind is, is it possible that the company would have known uh, that this person was prone to suicide? Well what we do know from the investigation and from other uh, detailed her, it, from the media and elsewhere. This was a young woman, I believe she was 29, had been working for this corporation in one of the European offices for a number of years, had just immigrated to the United States about six weeks before, and apparently there was some stress issues going on because in her her baggage was a brochure from the company uh, talking about uh, psychological issues and dealing with stress, and according to this person's spouse, uh, this person had made arrangements For later in the week to go get some counseling. So there was an issue that was known, at least to the uh, person who committed suicide and to that person's spouse. But as is typically the case with most companies, um, the personal medical issues with an employee, especially if they go to the equivalent of the employee assistance program for help, is not something that would be reported necessarily to management. So they might have observed something about this person's work habits, but they would not necessarily have known anything other than what they observed. They would not have access to her medical records, in other words.
0: Yeah, even then, you know, that's pre-HIPAA and all that, but even then they kept those those, uh, reports very confidential. So I, I would suspect that nobody was aware, especially the two pilots was aware of any emotional problems with any of the passengers.
2: And by the way, this was an unpressurized cabin, so it would have been difficult to open the door because they were going over 100 knots. I think the 150 knots, which I saw somewhere in the, one of the narratives. And obviously, the person had enough uh, strength to push this door open and to squeeze out of the airplane. But with a typical airliner, especially one that's flying at a pressurized high altitude, the likelihood that you'll get someone opening a door in flight, whether it's an emergency exit door or regular door, is virtually nil. And that's true.
0: It doesn't take but a quarter pound of pressure on the door. That's a quarter pound of pressure per square inch. Figure out how many square inches in the door. Uh, there's a lot of pressure holding that door in place on a pressurized commercial airplane.
2: Uh, well, before the show, I asked John in his time at the board if he had recalled any suicides being investigated. And he said yes. And I thought, well, let's take a look at the database. So we did a simple database search of the NTSB database, looking for the word suicide in any of the factual narratives or any other narrative field in an accident report. And we came up since 1989 to 2022, 74 events. Except for the one we're talking about today, all the other ones were involving small uh, private aircraft. This was the largest aircraft for which there was a suicide mentioned somewhere in an NTSB narrative.
0: Yeah, you know, it appears it's the only time a passenger actually committed suicide involving an airplane, a small airplane like this.
2: Now, Some of you in the audience might think, well, what about those cases where you have, let's say, um, someone deliberately flying the plane into the ground or what have you? Well, one of the things about accident investigations, if it turns out that there was some sort of criminal act or deliberate act on someone's part, let's say they committed suicide and along, along the way of doing that. there. While they were doing that, they killed everyone else on the plane. That would not be an accident. That would be investigated by law enforcement, and it wouldn't end up in the NTSB database.
0: Uh, Well, it might end up if they call on the NTSB to participate. But typically, if it's a crime, the NTSB assists local and federal authorities in, uh, in their concerns around the airplane. In the process and the licensing of the pilots and the training and all of that, uh, all the typical accident investigation things, but then it's turned over to the appropriate authorities and they deal with it. So a lot different than the, an accident report, although they still find their way into the into the docket as you you mentioned seventy some 74 of them uh, that we went through, but not one of them included a passenger committing suicide. It was always the the, uh, the person in command of the airplane. Right? It was interesting, though. The, the thing that I struggled with as we went through this was the fact that the first officer came back and manipulated the door. Now, if the door was open when the, those two passengers said something to him, you can understand. It's too noisy. But... Yeah, I think I would have, at least I hope I would have known how many passengers I had on the airplane. But you know what? It, it's hard to second guess in this period of time because of the way they were structured. You know, you're an employee. You have the right to get on the airplane and fly to 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 the next uh, company property.
2: So. And also the time where this took place, 2000, This was in the beginning of the uh, very beginning of the social media age, but there wasn't much in the way of um, online things that people could easily put on and and talk about this sort of thing. So if this happened today, it would be YouTube videos, TikTok videos, people putting uh, their own narrative in there, sending their own phone camera footage to the media. We'd have a lot more information about this and a whole lot more public pers- perspective, public rather, attention on this. But here it is. We're in the aviation safety realm. This happened 22 years ago. And I just stumbled across this a couple days ago. I thought, whoa, I never heard of this one before.
0: You know, and the uh, one, the thing that jumped out on me immediately was it was December 14th. When I was at the board, actually before I even got to the board, I hated the end of November and The beginning of of December, right up to the whole month of December, because the pressure that the holidays put on people, I mean, we always had problems. We always had people, uh, crashes, plane crashes, right? Mostly little airplanes, but we had some big ones too that happened over the holidays. And uh, that was always uh, painful. You know, the holidays have a have a real meaning for families and get togethers and arrest and to have to have a plane crash that claims one or ones enough or many more in an in a, an event around the holidays it's just very very painful for everybody involved
2: and we don't have much in the way of background information on this person other than she had immigrated 6 weeks before but presumably this was uh, going from Europe to America and for whatever reason, she was stressed out and the holidays were happening. So the likelihood that there was zero extra stress because of family separation for the holidays, I think was a low likelihood that there was zero stress. I'm confident that that was part of it, but certainly not all of it.
0: I agree with you. I agree. Well, it it just begs all the pilots out there that, that are flying people around. You, it, you won't have exactly these circumstances today because of... Uh, the requirements uh, to know who's on your airplane in, a, in an event like this. If you don't get your own Cessna, you should know who's on your airplane and, and pay attention to them. You know, we are our brother's keeper. We all should be looking after one another, especially if they're close to you. So it's, it uh, behoves all of us to pay attention. You know, flying has risks associated with it. And, this is one risk that uh, none of us saw coming, right? And we got to pay attention. We got to keep our heads screwed on properly. All right,
2: Todd, I'll, I'll uh, give you the last word. It was difficult for me to come up with the last word until about 20 seconds ago. I thought, what positive thing can we say about this that would be something that the audience could take away? And I thought about the fact that the person in that last row did what he could. He saw something happening. He immediately took action. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to bring the person back in, but this reminds me of what happened during the famous shoe bomber event and the underwear bomber event. Someone close to an unusual event, something that they completely never expected to happen, saw something and they took what they thought was appropriate action. In the case of the shoe and the underwear bomber, Obviously, it was a good outcome. In this case, it wasn't a good outcome. But I can't help but think that there are probably dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times, where someone has taken action, but because they averted a tragedy, they averted a suicide, they had someone taken off the plane who was ill before they might have died in in flight. We never hear about it. So uh, this is a one-off sort of thing, and I hope it remains that way. But let this be a reminder if uh, Like the old adage, it, not just if you see something, say something. If you see something and you can do something, do it. Yes.
0: All right. And I'll just close with as we're getting into the holiday season, please, please pay attention to your flying. I won't give you my standard pre-flight line and walk around line. You've had, everybody's heard that enough. And And uh, just fly safely, please. Please. It just, you know, I didn't say it. I almost said it during the show. But, you know, this young lady is a victim. But also, there's two people that that were on this airplane are also victims. They were emotionally distraught, two of these guys, emotionally distraught. Most people don't realize what a toll investigating accidents takes on investigators it uh, eats at them uh, constantly so you know everybody is everybody that touches an event like this is impacted by the event so let's try to eliminate them let's try to make sure they don't happen so if you're going to fly please fly safely
1: to listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at FlightSafetyDetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888 888- 888 Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives, and remember to always fly safe.